In 2019, I attended my first in-person leadership retreat. I wasn't excited to go at first because frankly, I prefer staying at home in my comfortable bubble. I went nonetheless and on day two of this 2019 retreat, I had an epiphany that an in-person experience disconnected from the world in a setting that stimulates revelation is the key to complete leadership development. That is what I was experiencing. Since then, our Leading Saints team has been researching other retreats, and we are finally ready to offer our Gathering Saints retreat experiences. These are in-person getaways where we gather in a physical location around the world, disconnect from our busy lives, and take a few days to connect with God as we learn to develop as individual leaders. These experiences are for individuals with no official leadership title, and even those with a formal leadership role. These retreats typically take place in beautiful wilderness locations, and we are also organizing church history trips where we create developmental experiences in historic church settings like Kirtland, Nauvoo, and Independence. For more information about the next retreat, visit leadingsaints.org gathering, or click the link in the show notes. That's leadingsaints.org gathering, or click the link in the show notes. Hey, if you're a newbie to Leading Saints, it's important that you know, what is this Leading Saints thing? Well, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through content creation. So we have this phenomenal podcast, we have a newsletter, we have virtual conferences, uh, so much more. And articles on our website, I mean, I could go on and on, right? <laughs> And we encourage you to uh, jump in, check out Leading Saints, uh, go to the search bar at leadingsaints.org and type in some topics and see what pops up. We're just glad you're here to join us. Gaden Lynn Condi, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast again. Yay! Here you are, back. Is and this, you're going to come back again. I don't know when. Is this 3P? I don't know. We've, I've lost count at this point. <laughs> You, you can't even remember how many books you've written, let alone. Nine, but okay. if you have a riot for You're having like, in the streets for having me back on, I don't want to hear about okay. it. <laughs> All right. So, Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I always cool. love talking with you. Well, I always get excited when a new book is coming out because I know how much time and, and your perspective and how you frame things is always helpful to our broader community discussion, right? As, as Latter-day Saints. You feel that way? or I do feel like the Lord is... Um, been willing to work with an imperfect instrument and trying to create content in book form. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have the opportunity to do speaking events and host my own shows, but I do value that a book lives long and it takes a lot to create them, to write them, to edit them, get them out on bookshelves. But I do value that you can pass on a book. And I still value like, a paper book versus a digital download and not to take away from those people that like to read their or listen to their books. But I like that tactile experience and I value as an author that the spirit can take whatever imperfectly I put on a page and twist it in a way that it applies to the reader in their life and where they're at. And through my books, I feel like I've been able to be a friend mm-hmm. to people that are going through private stuff and maybe they're not ready to share it with the people in their lives, but they've picked up one of my books and felt like someone sees them and understands. Yeah. That's awesome. And, um, 
do you feel like, uh, well, maybe put yourself in the context of people aren't as familiar with you, new listeners or whatnot. I mean, because you're a writer, speaker, real talk host, uh, <laughs> come follow me uh, resource. When I, how else would you... Uh, have the, have the strangest name on the planet. Yeah, Usually people are like, you're that person with the, and they're trying to fumble through <laughs> Gainolin. Yeah. I, um, feel like the stewardships that I've been given include writing books, hosting shows. I have had the chance to speak all over the world and, and I feel really grateful for that experience as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I do local live TV. So some people only know me from that, which is funny when you think people know you from something and they're like, they only know you from that yeah. place. And yeah. so like you've done nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Life. Yeah. They're like, you're the good things Utah person. I'm like, <laughs> I am right. Yeah. Uh, I'm a wife. I've been married 31 years. I am the mom of two kids and my baby just graduated high school. So we will nice. soon be empty nesters. We have a Google doc started <laughs> of empty nesting things that nice. we're trying to think about and plan for. So, nice. yeah. So tell me about the, the stewardship principle, the, the reframing your life. Like when, when a concept of a book comes to mind, like what, when was the moment where you thought, all right, that is a book or, cause I assume this is like a principle that you've been living a long time. Right. So specifically, this is my ninth book. Um, I would say for other books that I have published, they have a germination process where, mm -hmm. I either see something happening in the world, I've experienced it myself, and hopefully there's a gap that a book I write can fill mm -hmm. or a conversation that hasn't been had in that way before. I hope that I'm not writing things that are white noise, you know, because it is a long process. But for this book, The Stewardship Principle, it was a little bit of a different experience. 10 years ago, a friend of mine, Andrea, who I dedicate the book to, shared some outdated old curriculum where in my mind, a good chunk of that curriculum was this principle. When I knew a few years ago that the Lord was kind of prompting me to write about it, I went back and pulled that curriculum out and it's like three sentences oh, wow. in chapters and chapters. And it, that was an interesting insight to have that in my mind, it had made such a huge impact mm -hmm. in how I saw my life, everything in my life, my relationships, everything that I encounter for good and for bad, that it changed and reframed how I saw things. And because of that, it's been germinating yeah. in a different way. And I've been practicing it as a principle in my own life. It wasn't until a couple of years ago where I really started to feel the nudge. I'd already done a number of books. I had hosted weekly shows. I had spoke all over the world. I had had a lot of conversations around different stewardships, but it overwhelmed me to think that I was going to have to take a principle that in my mind is so expansive and try to put it in book form so that it wasn't overwhelming but also take a principle that maybe if a reader had already pondered on it, studied about it, thought about it themselves, that it wouldn't feel like they were getting fluff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. how was I going to take a really hard thing or a big expansive principle that I think like completely shifted how I approach most things in my life and make it, uh, approachable, but also not water it down so much that anyone that, that was, familiar with it wouldn't feel like they didn't also receive a gift in expanding the kind kind of application that I hope the book 
shows. Yeah. And so I resisted. <laughs> as we do as humans, right? Yeah. I just thought, no, you know, maybe Andrea needs to do this. And maybe, you know, maybe it's already been done in some other form. And so I slowly started to do some Google searches and Amazon searches and realized that there were versions of it. Um, and then I started talking about it on Real Talk. Mm-hmm. I, I did a Faith Matters interview about it. And people were like, can we go to lunch? Like constantly every day I was getting a message from some viewer. Uh-huh. Can can we have a book club? Can we just have you come to lunch and talk to us about stewardships? And then I knew like it was time to put it in book form because I didn't have enough hours to go to lunch with everyone right, and, have, yeah. and have those one-on-one conversations where people really wanted to understand more the application in their own lives. And so I said, how about I don't go to lunch with everybody and I sit home and I write it. And, and I'll tell you, Kurt, to not be overly dramatic. I hope I still have a long life, but when this book finally hit catalogs and bookshelves, it feels like one of the things I came to earth to do. Mm, That's cool. It felt that important. Um, it's 68 pages. It's not an overwhelming read. Yeah. And the cover, I'm really proud of the cover. Um, Emma Taylor Donaldson. I don't know if I got her maiden name and married name mixed (laughs) up, but I've known her for years. Uh And then she did this painting that's on the cover and, but I knew her before she was known. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Covenant, my publisher and just said, this is the cover. And it's, if people are familiar with the cover, it's kind of a where's Waldo. You can't find Jesus, but if you look, you will find Jesus in it, but it's every demographic, every race, every age group. And that's who the reader is. The Mm -hmm. reader for me is everyone. Um, I would say eight and older. If you're eight to 10, you probably want someone to read it to you. But I, I tried to write it in a way that feels approachable and creates a good foundation but I also have heard from a lot of people that are familiar with this principle and they felt like it expanded. Um, and, and I'm grateful for the subtitle. Sometimes subtitles and books, yeah, book writing, yeah. they're just kind of like, are they a placeholder? Do they serve any purpose? And I'm going to do a shout out to our friend, John Hilton, because he did an amazing endorsement for this book. And, um, he's the first one when I was working on this quietly, he, he had come on Real Talk, I believe, or I interviewed him on one of my other shows. And, and he said, so what are you working on? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm working on this book about stewardship. And he's like, okay, tell me about it. So as I was talking to him, he was like, oh, like, like reframing how you see things. And I was, wait, that's a really good way to describe. I hope a subtitle helps people understand what yeah. the book is about. And it really is about reframing how you yeah. see everything. And that concept of reframing, I think, is really important. It, like... In, in if, just using our um, our uh, community, faith community, as an example, you walk into maybe a church bookstore, you'll find doctrinal books, which are sort of about what's what's truth, what's not, and what did the scriptures say. Then you you could find application books of like here's how you apply principles of the gospel. But I think there's this third category of reframing concepts of saying maybe it's not about what's you know true or not or how how you're doing it or not but but how are we seeing it mm-hmm. in, in whole and uh, that's i feel like a big thing that we we miss sometimes or we get we get stuck if we can't frame it a certain way we can't even begin to talk about the concepts or the doctrines inside of it if we don't know how to frame it well that's interesting you would give that example because i do think that last year in come follow me land we Mm -hmm. were studying the doctrine and covenant so this word stewardship came up just scripturally 
based, right? And we sometimes conceptualize it around a certain period of time where people were living the holy order or the law of consecration Mm -hmm. and everything was a stewardship. And that is one application. I think it's a, it's a helpful one for, for some people, but if you only stop there and you only think of stewardships as a principle, when you're talking about living the law of consecration or everything in common, then you're going to miss the point. And so I do love the idea that God always, when I am about to write a book or I'm prepping for an episode of Real Talk or preparing a fireside talk, most things are not my original idea. Yeah, Nothing really is, right? So I always go back to where did God put it in his books before I start my books or my mm-hmm, talks mm-hmm. or my episodes. And that happened with this book. I sat down and I thought, Okay, well, where did God talk about stewardship? And I didn't want to go to the low-hanging fruit where we actually see the word. And I wanted to see where he had shown the application. Yeah, And that's where I start the book. And Mm -hmm. that is with the parable of the talents. And that felt very spirit-directed. Some people, it may be like, well, duh, of course that's what you came up with is (laughs) the talent parable. And I'm like, for some reason, like the spirit can do, I saw in a different way. That maybe the servant that received the one talent received a stewardship that was embarrassing Mm -hmm. or hard. Mm -hmm. And basically for those in your audience that are still wondering what a stewardship is it's everything it's everything you own it's your health it's your dog it's your unemployment it's your divorce it's your kids it's your infertility it's your lgbtq plus friend it's Mm -hmm. um your demotion or your promotion it's everything in our lives so as i comb through the scriptures and ask the lord to kind of show me where he had taught it That's where I saw that maybe the servant had received a stewardship, quote unquote, talent, but it wasn't a fun one. Yeah. It was a hard one. Maybe it was a heroin addiction. Maybe it was loneliness. Maybe it was depression, anxiety. It wasn't the stewardship that everyone like likes on Instagram. It's not the one that everyone's giving an award for or cheering you on about. It's the one that feels private or personal or frustrating. And so what we know from that parable is the servant buries it, Mm -hmm. right? The master comes back and is like, okay, what have you done with your stewardships? And we know this parable because the other servants have taken it and it's been consecrated. It's expanded. And so I, the premise I start with in the book is even if your stewardship is that one thing that no one's excited about, that's the hard stuff. Right. Um, what have you done with God in caring for it? Because I believe he can consecrate every stewardship for our good. Now on leading saints, you talk a lot about leadership stewardships, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think culturally speaking, um, we tend to celebrate certain leadership stewardships, right? I've never noticed. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, oh, you got called to be fill in the blank, right? right yeah. And everyone's excited. Or, oh, you got called to be fill in the blank stewardship, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. that's the, I don't want to offend anyone, but yeah. I've been called to be the girls camp director, right? And my husband happened to be in the bishopric and had to be the counselor to call me to the calling. And Uh he was so nervous. He was like, please don't shoot the messenger. Like we prayed about it. And it ended up being a beautiful, hard experience. Like some really crazy stories. If you ever want a whole episode just on girls camp leaders, I I 
I will come back and share some stories, All but right. I will say th- there was, there wasn't a lot of people in the war just like high five at me. Like, yeah. Look at you. Your family didn't come. They, <laughs> right. they were all there for the setting right. apart. Right. <laughs> we didn't have a special like catered event after church that day. Yeah. And I would just say for me as a 51-year-old woman who has served in leadership positions on various levels, stake level and word level, I I don't desire them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I definitely think stewardship within the church. I will build the kingdom. And I think you and I, as friends, separate from doing this podcast episode, we just had a lengthy conversation before we started (laughs) taping um, that was quote unquote more therapy than probably anything else for me (laughs) is that I don't, I don't necessarily believe that the way I can build the kingdom is only through certain stewardships. I very much have lived enough life to realize that it's the quiet nursery leader that is building the kingdom in powerful ways, not to take away from the stewardship of the stake president, and his family in their stewarding of his calling, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And as a Relief Society, previous Relief Society president at the ward level and stake level, I would just say it's the quiet, quiet director, mm-hmm. you know, that is changing the testimony of a choir member more so than maybe the stewardship of the bishop and at any given moment. I have a wonderful bishop. I've had a lot of bishops in my life and we all steward differently. And so when I went to write this, I want to acknowledge from the outset that some stewardships are hard. Some stewardships are painful. Some stewardships are invisible. No one cares, right? You're quietly doing them and only God knows that you're putting in the laundry for the 10th time that week. And then there are other stewardships that are visual, that are obvious that everyone sustains you get a lot of maybe validation and recognition from right Right. yeah and i personally as a public figure i think the 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 people that know me from a public standpoint have a sense that i try to share a variety of my stewardships i Mm -hmm. i definitely try to post about both the hard things and and the the quote-unquote fun stuff yeah but i think there's a sense that my life is this certain list of stewardships that we started out introducing me with right right? like she's an author this is her ninth book she does tv she hosts real talk she speaks you know she's a wife she's a mom i am those things i also have dealt with lupus i've lost a sister to suicide my parents were divorced before some notables in the church were divorced right (laughs) and no one understood why primary on thursdays why my dad didn't live with our family right and I had a sister die when I was 10. So I have two sisters buried by each other. Um, Mm. We've been through job loss. I, you know, I was told we'd never have kids and, and we went through infertility. So that's just like a sampling, right? Every person on the planet has that same kind of bio where we have a a mix. I call it the fruit salad of the good stuff and the hard stuff, you know? And that's interesting because we do have these, we sort of frame stewardships in, in different lights where I remember this, uh, and I'm about to say something very controversial, especially to this audience. Now everyone's going to listen. So buckle up here. But we often, you know, we'll think about the bishop or Uh the society or the stake president. We'll think, wow, you've got so much on your plate. You've got so much to do, whatever. But I also felt like, like when I was bishop, it, to have a, what you felt like was a stewardship, it was almost too easy at times where you were served on a, on a platter, like these the, the person that you could serve, like they literally walked in your office, sat down and said, help me. Yes. As opposed to the other member who's just like, well, now where I don't have that stewardship to say, I go home and I'm like, okay, I'd have a lot to do, but, um, it's sort of 
kind of fluff or, you know, why don't I just sit down and binge, you know, that streaming service or whatever it is. And, and so it's almost at times more difficult for me to go out and find that stewardship or focus on that stewardship because it's not on a pedestal or it's not naturally, these problems aren't naturally coming to you. So I'm, I'm, I'll, (laughs) I'll definitely say that being a bishop is hard. Being a, a church leader is hard, but also recognize that for that season, that stewardship, uh, those opportunities can easily come to you. I don't know if there's it's a super effective to say that certain stewardships are are intense, but like you said, they're clearly defined. Right. Not one's not better than the other. It's just how it is. Right. And I think like currently my husband is the ward mission leader, which is technically not even a calling anymore, but uh-huh. this stake has decided that it's still effective. And, and I see how we're trying to interpret that calling in our, in our family and me supporting him and all of that. And so I think that's a really good point because I'm also living through a season of my life where my stewardships are changing. My youngest is, is going to move out and go to college mm-hmm. and we're not, quote unquote grandparents yet, but we're empty nesting soon. And I've really been kind of in an identity crisis the last few months. And I've talked to you as a friend about this Mm -hmm. because it's kind of bumped up against all my other stewardships. It's made me look at all my other stewardships in a different way of like, what do I value and how am I contributing? And is it effective? And so I hear from a lot of 50 plus aged women on social media that are like, thank you for speaking for the silent few of us that are like confused of, wait, parenting, what does it look like? How do I steward in this way now that my kids are adults? And I often say that if you don't understand stewardship, the quickest way to explain it is through parenting Mm -hmm. because the opposite of stewardship in the book is ownership. And the quickest way for me to go to ownership is in my parenting. Mm And like I own you. I and own you. Anything you become is a reflection yeah, on me. Right? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of content out there about raising your kids to a certain age. And then it goes to like radio silence. Like there's <laughs> nothing on, there's hardly anything, my book. And I don't know how many books are even been written about parenting adult children because the stewardship of parenting changes. Yeah. I don't get to decide what you wear, where you sleep, what you eat, who your teachers are, who you hang out with and have a play date. We're not even having a family home evening yeah. lesson to fix that anymore. Yeah. Nor right? is there like a date that it's like, all right, on this date, the stewardship changes. Yeah. It just naturally, you wake up one day and you're like, oh yeah. wow, I can't do that. Right. I can't steward in that way anymore. Right. Right. And I, my poor children don't have a lot of privacy because of the work that I do. And, but I asked my son when this book came out because I hypothetically talk about him and then I call him out specifically, I talk about ADHD, in the book and that stewardship. Uh-huh. And, and I asked him, how have we effectively stewarded this last 18 months? He, um, quit college and moved to Hawaii for a year and, um, has recently returned and is back in college. But during that time, that was an example where if I didn't know this principle, I could have really ruined that relationship. Mm-hmm. Because whether you're talking about being a bishop or Relief Society president or a parent, if you go into ownership, it is the quickest way to burn a bridge in a relationship. So just give me like two or three quick examples of the difference between stewardship and ownership, just so that's clear. So the way I write the book is each chapter is taking comparable stewardship. So time, money, talents, education, parenting, childhood, relationships, marriage. And I try to show kind of a juxtapose where the voice of stewardship will sound 
and where the voice of ownership will sound. Okay. And at the end of each chapter, I literally give you a list of like the ownership will sound like this and That's stewardship right. will sound like mm-hmm. this. And the reason I do that is because to me, a principle is practiced. It's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And so even though I've known about this principle for 10 years, I have to keep choosing into stewardship out of ownership. Um, an example would be, is the voice of ownership in parenting sounds a lot like, oh my gosh, I must have failed because look at the choice you just made. Yeah. The voice of ownership for a bishop will be, look at the numbers of not ministering happening or how low our tithing is or the numbers. Temple uh, recommend. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many people are showing up to church on any given, given Sunday? Yeah, and I always go back to the, when I was in the state presidency, there's this feeling of like the Saturday night state conference That's session it. is like the ruler that That's you measure. That's the litmus test like, of all. Nobody came. Great. Well, right. I need a guilt trip the next time or I'm right. not a good leader or. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the problem, <laughs> and I, and I'll say this on the outside is in parenting, um, I love what you said is there's not ever a moment where I'm like, oh, now I'm an empty nesting parent and parenting adult children looks like this. I've looked to people ahead of me on the trail for examples of where that looks effective and that looks less effective, Mm -hmm. but ownership definitely starts to take away agency in parenting. It takes away agency in being a church leader. Mm -hmm. I think ownership for me also sounds a lot like comparisons you know, and you and I are both podcasters, right? And so we were talking before this episode about like, how do we stay in stewardship mindset when you're a content creator? It's very easy to go into ownership because all of a sudden it's number-based. Now, when it comes to leadership, the fact is we are part of an organization Mm -hmm. and we turn in reports and we make decisions based on data. I publish books, my publisher, if I don't sell books, it doesn't make sense on a business level mm-hmm. to maybe publish my next book, right? So sometimes when I go into ownership, I know that I can still talk to God about the numbers. If I have a stewardship approach though, my prayer for him will be, Heavenly Father, if you want me to write this book or host this show, then you need to help me understand where the numbers need to go, or I need to surrender it. Do you want me to worry about them today or not? So it's Mm -hmm. not saying hands off, I don't care. Ownership is a really big buzzword right now. So I've had a a few people push back, like from a business standpoint, is this a good book? Yeah. From a church standpoint, from a parenting standpoint, from a health standpoint, I get why ownership is the buzzword. Like take Mm -hmm. ownership of your life and your health. Accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Like take ownership of the victim mentality. Yes. Create the reality you want to create. I get that. Stewardship is not hands off. Mm -hmm. It's not saying I don't care as a parent of my 24 year old, but it definitely looks different than ownership. Because if I'm stewarding in my adult child's life, then I tend to be more spirit directed, less controlling, more faith focused, less fearful, more spirit directed and not comparing, well, that's what those people are doing for their adult child. So why is my adult child not going to Harvard, fill in the blank, da, 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 right. (laughs) So I would just say stewardship doesn't pull you out of the equation. It's more hopeful. It's less burnout. Mm. it's more spirit directed and that's why it's a reframe of your life. And that's what answers somewhat. My next question is like, how can you tell when you're in ownership rather than stewardship? Because 
I can I see so many you know leaders, especially bishops. Where I'm, I look at like from an outsider looking in, I'm they're like, in total ownership. You're in ownership. You're like yeah. sacrificing everything, everything for this role. Like yes. your family's falling apart. Right. But and and bless their hearts, they sort of don't know how to do it. They're just right. like, well, I was asked to do this, so I think it's just expected I do this. And yeah, there's a sacrifice happening, but maybe that's supposed to happen. And then you're just sort of trying to keep your head above water, whatnot. But is there any any way to determine personally, if you're in an ownership mentality rather than a stewardship? Well, I think some of the things I've already mentioned, when you're in comparison, when you're going into control, when you're praying away someone's agency, those Mm -hmm. are usually good signals you're in ownership. But I would also say burnout. I mean, I think when we share scripture, like do not run faster than able Mm -hmm. or do not be weary in well-doing. I just read that verse a couple of days ago. And if you keep reading that verse, you realize it's, there will be a harvest in a season. So when I really saw that through a stewardship's mindset, it isn't, don't be weary in your well-doing, which means never take a nap, never go on a date with your wife, never say no to your kids, right? It's saying, do this as a steward would, and then trust outcome-based. Hmm. One of the ways I know I'm in ownership is I get hyper-focused on outcome. Yeah. Do we have to turn in a report for how many people attended? That's why there's a clerk walking around counting everybody, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Right? We're still having ministering interviews in some units. I don't know if everyone's <laughs> doing it. I don't know how effective it's being done, but uh-huh. right, there's still this accountability and data gathering that's happening. But if I'm hyper-focused or if I give more weight to outcome, then mm. then that's a sign I'm usually in ownership. Yeah. And how does the Lord measure? You know, I mean, one of the scriptures that I think is effective to reframe, to use my subtitle, is the fruits of the tree. You will be able to judge them. Mm -hmm. Well, I used to always think that meant like if you have this many followers or you sell this many books or your kids make these kinds of choices, they're all married in the Mm -hmm. temple or everyone in your ward gets along. But what if the fruit of the tree is rotten and it's like worms and you're like, what is going on with this tree? Like, do we need to cut it down? What I've come to understand is that stewardship thinking is offering based. Hmm. Ownership thinking is outcome focused. All right. So offer based, what do you mean by that? So what if the fruits of the tree are the fact that you tried to fertilize the tree and you plant the tree? and you watered the tree and you trimmed the tree and the fruits didn't grow the way you thought and the worms came or the birds ate them all. You know, I have a neighbor and just over the fence, I get to watch every year the journey of his peach tree, right? He nets it. He hopes that the late frost doesn't come, right? And sometimes the birds come and was he a bad steward because he doesn't have all the greatest peaches to make the best peach pie? Or was he a good steward because he showed up? Yeah. And he tried to put the net on the tree and yeah. he tried, he tried to water the tree effectively and yeah. he tried to protect it when there was a frost. So sometimes when I look at the outcomes in my life, I realize I'm using a very mortal measuring stick. I'm deciding how effective I was as a parent based on the choice of my kids. Well, that goes against the plan of agency and happiness that God set out. So if he wanted us to be that way, then you know, he probably didn't give us all the tools to effectively control the outcomes. And that sounds a lot like the adversary's plan, which was controlling outcomes. And so I like to remind myself that when I'm feeling discouraged, I'm in comparison, I'm going into ownership, 
that usually my eye has gotten hyper-focused on outcome and I've made a story around the outcome. Yeah. I've decided that wherever at any given point my kid is at, my health is at, my book sales are at, the views on my show are at, is says something. Yeah. And what does it say? What if the fruit was that I did the show, that I called the kid, that I checked and texted the sister that I'm assigned to minister to? Not how close we are or did she show up to church next Sunday, but what if the fruit is my offering? Gotcha. Yeah. It's the boy with the fishes and the loaves. You know, I mean, at any given point, if he had been outcome focused, he would have maybe never even offered his little fish and loaf. Mm -hmm. But when we did finally measure it, when Jesus was part of the equation, there were leftovers. Mm -hmm. So I've come to understand that if I'm in stewardship, God stays in the equation. When yeah. I go into ownership, I'm saying, how about I just take the wheel? Yeah. So what do you, what do you say to leaders who are taking a deep breath? They're like, ah, oh, she's calling me out. Yeah. I, I'm there. I'm outcome yeah. focused. I'm in that ownership. Right. Like, then what, what can we do? Are there certain questions we ask as far as uh, our, ask ourselves or what can we do to pull ourselves out of ownership and, and refocus on stewardship? Well, I would say first and foremost, the first step is acknowledging there's a problem. Right. <laughs> right. True that. So when you all of a sudden see that like you're burning the candle at both ends all the time, it's affecting your health and your relationships outside of the stewardship of whatever your leadership calling is. Mm -hmm. I would check first and foremost, what story are you telling yourself? Usually for me, when I go into ownership, there's some fear mm -hmm. that's associated with it. And there's a sense that somehow my worth is tied into that yeah. stewardship. It's not enough, right? It's not enough. And it yeah. really isn't enough. If I'm in stewardship thinking, then I've realized that like, honestly, Kurt, people congratulate me and celebrate a lot of what I put out into the world. Mm -hmm. I can go into ownership about the good stuff just as much as own we've talked about some of the traps of ownership mm. in hard things. Yeah. But man oh man, if my worth is too much titled into the books I'm writing, the shows I'm hosting, the next gig I've been asked to come speak at, that's just as detrimental as tying my ownership into the outcome of my husband's loss of his job, my recent battle with lupus, right? And so it's just as helpful to stay into stewardship with the good stuff as it is the hard yeah. stuff. When you start owning like, yeah, I did that, you know, yeah, like, or that like somehow how great that's, I am or, right. you know, that, yeah. Right. Mm. I would also say faith friends become super helpful in, and I've talked about it in other books and in other scenarios before and conversations I've had with you pull me out of that ownership mindset. I mm. go to people that I trust when I can tell I've slipped into stewardship or ownership and out of stewardship in a specific stewardship. So for the Bishop or the relief society president or the mission president or the stake president, right? Whatever the stewardship is that we're talking on a leadership level. I don't know if we do a super effective job of counseling with others within those stewardships. Mm. I do believe God values it and gives us presidencies for that exact reason. Hmm. I mean, I think ultimately presidency should be a council where you can say, I think I'm in ownership here and I'm discouraged because sister so-and-so it's not playing out the way I thought. And your counselors can call you on that. If, if it doesn't feel like your counsel within that presidency works, then I say, you call, you call us a stake member of another stake and say, Hey, you're my equal in that. How have you 
how have you navigated burnout? How have you navigated situations where you don't feel like you're making any change for good and your family or your personal life is struggling, right? I think that's where we were wired for connection, mm -hmm. right? And and I end the book talking about building Zion in this way. Like to me, stewardship is brilliant when we talk about building Zion. I talk about my neighbor who's super effective at like making jewelry, baking cakes, <laughs> doing art, like so much creative energy in her life and how she's built Zion just by sharing those gifts and talents. Those are not my gifts. Yeah. Like, and I want to put that in the context of like the outgoing Relief Society president yeah. with now I'm the Perfect. incoming. It's like, I, I am not that. Yeah. She had the stewardship for a time. Right. Now she doesn't. Right. I don't have to be her. Right. I just have to be me. And right. now it's my stewardship. My right. my current Relief Study president, I've talked about her on Real Talk. I gave her a heads up. It was coming out. But <laughs> she was definitely, she's definitely someone that is not going to just go talk to people and had a certain set of gifts. She's amazing gardener. Uh -huh. Like I, I just amazing. And she's this mom of two cute, wonderful boys. We are actually like fence neighbors. So she's heard my real life and I've heard her real life over the years. But she talked pretty openly about being overwhelmed, being called because she didn't see herself in the traditional Relief Society stewardship role. Like mm. whatever that personality is, this is not who she saw herself as. And she called one of her counselors is someone that is super, super empathetic and loves to kind of sit with people in their pain and, and create space for them to process. And so I think there's power in that, Yeah. that, that God isn't asking us to be brilliant in all the boxes yeah. that he really, I believe is going to build Zion because my neighbor is super good at making sourdough bread and I'm super good at buying it. You know, yeah. like, and everyone during the pandemic that trained for a marathon, I was not that girl, right? right. But I am awesome at, um, at vacuuming. I am super good at it. I hope in Zion there's carpet because I will be an effective contributor to Zion yeah. by vacuuming, right? My mother-in-law is so brilliant at cooking and sewing, and she made my husband suits on his mission. If that was what the definition of motherhood was in stewarding, I'm in trouble. My kids never got homemade clothes for me. I think they got homemade bread once in a while and it, it was not effective. And so I've had to really challenge, especially as a mom that has the stewardship of lupus and chronic illness, what did mothering look like? And I think in the church, we're doing a little bit better expanding what we culturally define certain roles as. Um, I think podcasts have helped in that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pulled the curtain back to say, oh, wait, you're the Relief Society president and you don't do whatever, whatever activity every September the way my Relief Society president always did it, right? And and I think that's why we have calling changes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like We pass the stewardship around. Yeah, yeah, because if not, it's the traditions of the fathers. Yeah. And mothers that get passed on, like, well, we mm -hmm. always, every July 24th, we all put on our pioneer bonnets <laughs> and do that, right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we start to believe that the doctrine of the church is based on the traditions, then we get in trouble, yeah. right? And then we're less effective in accepting callings. And I think God shows the expansion and building of the kingdom because he wants my neighbor's perspective on how to be a Relief Society president at this time yeah. versus, you know what was traditionally done or previously done. Yeah. And so I hope that answers the question. I hope bishops out there especially call other bishops or confess to the stake president they're burnt out. And stake presidents will pick up this book if they don't understand this principle. Like it's less than $7 
at Siegel Book, Amazon, and Desert Book, right? And and if you don't understand the idea of stewardship and you're counseling with people that are in your stewardship and you can see ownership is burning everyone out, I think we have too many people that have already walked away from our faith because they were in ownership for so many years. Yeah. So true. It's so, so true. easy to go, wait, I did a lot of doing and the cake didn't come out the way I thought in all that sacrifice, tithing, paying, whatever. I don't remember which general conference talk it was. You're going to help me on this one that it's not the vending machine principle, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That we, we believe a lot in the doing. Um, but sometimes the stewardship God is asking us to do is to not have a calling yeah, or not do something. Or like in the words of my son, he said, the way you were an effective steward this year was you didn't say or do a lot. Well, he lived in Hawaii, so that created a, a boundary, right? But I was lost sometimes to know, like, am I being a good mom? Yeah. What does what does it look like to be an effective parent for my kids at the stages of life? And one of the things I will suggest is as bishop, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a mission companion, ask your whatever, your child, your mission companion, your counselors, what does support look like? One of the ways I go into ownership is I decide what it's going to look like. I Mm. already decide like, this is what it looks like to be a good mom. This is what it looks like to be a good release society president or a young women's president, right? This is what a good ward looks like. And you walk into ward council, I already know sort of the direction I want to go. And I've owned, I'm owning it. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why the conversations you have on this show are effective is because it gives a window into wait a different approach and, and it, it starts conversations, right? I hope people pick up this book and it just, I've heard from readers already that they finished it and started it all over Mm -hmm. again because they couldn't unknow what they knew. You know, unfortunately they all of a sudden saw everything different in their lives, which as the author that was scared to do this, I'm grateful to hear that it's had that effect that people that didn't understand it at all of a sudden couldn't not see their table, their wrecked car, their (laughs) failed marriage is now a stewardship. It's not God saying, well, I really love so-and-so sister so-and-so because her husband's the bishop and I don't love sister so-and-so because she's going through divorce. It's stewardship. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's stewardship. And it makes me think of a time I was serving as bishop and, and working with this gentleman in my ward who was going through his marriage had fallen apart. He was in an apartment by himself, just struggling to like have a decent job. And I remember this moment looking at him and, and I knew his background and, you know, he, he jumped through all the same hoops I had jumped through, but for some reason we were on opposite sides the of the vending desk. machine hadn't yeah. kicked right. out yeah. the same life. I was on the Bishop side. Yeah. He was on the, I'm having a problem side. Yeah. And I couldn't put to words why that was, but in the, at the end of the day, it's like, that's just, that's your stewardship. stewardship. This is my stewardship. Yeah. It's not because I somehow figured, cracked the code and figured something else to land me on this side of the desk. This no. is where we're at. Yeah. And both opportunities can sanctify us. Right. right. And you know what? I would just love to say this. Like people have already asked, is there a follow-up book yet? And I'm like, <laughs> can this be out on the market a few months first? But yeah. I would say there are a few areas that if I was to do a follow-up, this mm-hmm. is no promises. Okay. <laughs> uh, please don't write me about that yet. Um, that I would love to have a further conversation about one area is, um, our brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ plus Mm -hmm. community. I talk about, uh, our mutual friends, the Macintoshes and their stewarding of a child that's gay. And I would just say, 
what I love about this principle is if you're in leadership and you're sitting across a desk, like you were in that scenario with someone that is dealing with some stewardships that are challenging or different or difficult, um, there's hope in that position as a leader in helping that individual reframe how they see that. Because when we see, um, friends that are of color, that have lived through difficult times in our history, not just in the church, but in the history of our nation or the world. How how do you frame that in a way that feels hopeful without negating the challenge of that experience? Stewarding or the stewardship principle allows you to sit across from someone and hold space for their experience and honor their stewardship and not have to solve it. I don't have an answer for my black brothers and sisters that have been horribly mistreated and mm-hmm. misunderstood and at times overlooked. Mm-hmm. I don't have all the answers for the paradoxes for my friends of my faith that are also trained to navigate gender identity or sexual identity, right? Yeah. But when we see everything as a stewardship, all of a sudden it's not like, well, God must really love his fill in this descriptor of this person because they check these boxes and they've never had to encounter racism, um, bigotry, abuse, um, betrayal, right? If I can see whatever is happening in someone I love's life as a stewardship, I have come to understand it allows me to validate them with also not putting me in a position to think that I have to solve the problem or save them. And it's a hopeful approach. It's not easy. Uh, Friends that are going through a difficult divorce, especially those that are dealing with divorce because of betrayal, there's not a fast track. You don't just all of a sudden read a book about stewardship and go, oh, it's a stewardship. Oh, good. (laughs) Here we go. Everything's happy. Yeah. My spouse totally betrayed me, lied to me for years. I'm questioning everything about my family and everything that I did and all of those family vacations and family home evenings. And what did it all mean? And why did we go to the temple and violating of covenants, right? It doesn't take away that pain, but it does say, as Job teaches us Mm -hmm. that God isn't like punishing that sister, right? He's not saying to her, you know, I didn't even notice that you volunteered at girls camp every year and your husband was having an affair. It's saying, I I trust you with the stewardship. It's the one talent that you still have the capacity with God to have it be consecrated for your good. I think it's sister Craig who tells the beautiful story of the sister that went to church that first Sunday as a as a divorced woman wondering why did she do all the doing in Mm -hmm. the church? Like, Mm -hmm. what was that all for? All those lessons she taught, all that volunteering, all those casseroles we signed up for going to the temple on a regular basis. And now here she's sitting all by herself. Right. And then it makes me emotional every time to think of that one teen girl that was like, saw her stewardship, totally different demographic and went, sat by her and saw her that Sunday. Yeah. And every Sunday for weeks, made sure she saw her and said hello to her. That's building the kingdom. Like, that's like not bacon, sourdough bread, or solving world hunger, or donating the most tithing ever donated. That's like, to me, that's stewardship right there. It's a sister that shows up divorced and heartbroken, and a teenage girl that sees her. Yeah, that's stewarding. Yeah. And I, I love the the point you're hitting on here, where as I sat across from that 
that man in my ward, it's so easy to go to the the reasons why that's your stewardship. Right. Right. Like, not that you're saying, well, God is punishing you, but obviously there should be, there's obviously some reason you're in the, your marriage the is falling apart. Because the outcome should be or, different. Yeah, it should be different, right? And so when we approach it from a stewardship point of view, suddenly we're on equal levels. Right. And you're dealing with your thing, you're dealing with my thing, yours has more stigma. Wow, that's hard. That That's hard, but... But we're we're still on the same level, right? Right, and, right. And there shouldn't be any stigma. But that's right. just that the world we live in. Right. And then, then we can we can find deeper answers, and, and Christ can step into that rather than like, oh well, maybe you gotta you know turn up your your scripture study more. Try that, you know, because that's worked for me. And again, that we sort of shifted this ownership. Like I'm able to afford this this uh, stewardship because I've I paid for it. So right. maybe you need to pay more for it. Right. Right. And it just doesn't work that when way. When I went, when we went through infertility, um, the comments were hilarious. Like maybe one day I'll write a book of the rude things <laughs> no, we say to each other in the church. And some of these, as I read in your book, my wife and I also went through yeah. like six years of infertility. Yeah. I remember sitting on a plane and, uh, you know, this lady st- starts up a conversation with me like, Oh, do you have any kids? I'm like, no. She's like, Oh good. Just wait, wait as long <laughs> as you can. And I'm like weeping inside. I'm like, we've tried so hard. Right. right? Just these comments. It's, it's, it's tough. Well, and I remember someone literally saying like, you need to fast and pray more. And why aren't you like following the prophet? And they had no idea what was yeah, going the, behind yeah, the, the scene. Yeah. But if you read the scriptures, obviously the theme of infertility is plentiful. Like I just remember thinking, wait, I, I feel like God is pretty clear that it's not based on my righteousness or else he wouldn't include Hannah and Sarah and right. Like he was clear that he wanted to acknowledge that stewardship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would just say to those that are, um, wondering, I, I just recently in preparation for taping real talk was studying the book of Job. And if you read through all 42 chapters, I think, I mean, it's like a crazy number of chapters. Mm -hmm. The story is plentiful of everyone's perspective on the stewarding, right? (laughs) All of Job's friends had an opinion about how, why he was being punished, why he was losing everything financially, his health, his kids were dying. Like everyone was saying curse God. And they all had opinions when it comes to stewardship. There is a difference, even if we have all the same labels, how you're going to handle infertility, how you're going to handle lupus, how you're going to handle being the bishop, how you're going to handle the good stuff and the hard stuff, right? At the end of that, though, we see that God was a compensatory God. Everything Job had lost returned like tenfold. And so I guess on the moments where you're sitting there pleading in your closet and you've listened to this podcast or you've heard me talk about this in another place and you're like, I'm too tired to keep stewarding. I am mm-hmm. in, in complete ownership. I must've ruined the formula. Cause look at all of my kids have walked away from our faith or mm-hmm. this has ended or we've lost another job. I would just say, I don't know how God will work it all for my good all the, all the time. But Job teaches us that he does. And I believe Job is a great example of staying in stewardship, right? Yeah. I didn't put him in the book because I think he's an obvious example of of kind of that story playing out. And I really wanted to maybe pull in ideas that maybe weren't as obvious. But to me, he's one of the great examples of of trusting God in that process for however long it takes. And, and I just want to say on the outset, the individuals that inspire me the most in my faith 
the people I want to go see on the big screen, have the movie written about their life and played uh-huh. are not the people that had the easy stewardships. Yeah. They're just not. They're the ones that have overcome, that have faced you know, adversity over lengthy periods of time where they've wrestled with questions of their soul. And it looks like everything's working out for the neighbor, but never working out for them. Right. I do think we have a tendency though, in the church to think everything has to be hard. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the pioneer perspective that we celebrate every year on pioneer day, we think, oh gosh, it's got to be a fight. I believe stewardship allows you to appreciate the good stuff yeah, too. Absolutely. I mean, there's something to be said when you're holding your first grandchild or you're sitting in the temple with your kids and you've worked to be there. If we don't express gratitude for those spaces, we're also not going to appreciate the stewardship that is joy, the stewardship that comes from love, the stewardship that comes from having accomplished and gotten a degree or see your book published on the shelf. Like I've come to really understand this principle allows me to kind of ride the hard waves, but it also allows me to enjoy sitting on the beach, right? With the pineapple drink and my kids with me and the joy of that experience too. Yeah, that's such an awesome point. Especially um, there's this this cultural uh, feeling when it comes to leadership in the church of, like you're not supposed to want these callings. Right. And I think about my time as bishop, like best calling in the church, absolutely do it again. But we have to, we almost feel like it has to be hard. Like, yeah. and that's where we, we shift to this, this place of stewardship where we're saying we're having some clear boundaries or saying no to things, but we feel like, oh, we can't say no to things because it's supposed to be hard. So right. go that way. But right. And so just giving yourself permission to say, yeah, your stewardship is, is being the stake president right now. And it's okay to really like that. And, and, and to be sad when it's over, you know. And it's okay that when you're called into the bishop's office and maybe a call is extended and the bishop isn't aware of the three other stewardships that include your cancer diagnosis, right. that you speak up yeah. and you say, I'm dealing with these other stewardships and with information, revelation can happen. And so some of the greatest opportunities of my life have been when I've said no. Yeah. And in the moment, it's scary because you're like, I've covenanted to build the kingdom, or this is a great opportunity to go have this speaking event, or, you know, whatever that is. And I've learned that when you're in stewardship, God can whisper to me the no's. And sometimes the no's are much later at times I look back and go, wow, if I had not said no to that, I wouldn't have been able to say yes to this. So Mm -hmm. understanding that, like you just said, um, yeah. I mean, girls camp was hard, but it was a great stewardship experience. I, I did call, this is my little teaser. If you want me to come back and talk girls camp, I called a food director. That was the greatest decision of my life because I'm like, I had a vision of the theme and spiritual content and the organization. I'm really good with the spreadsheet. Right. But cooking the food and managing the food and that stewardship felt so overwhelming and the sister they called was brilliant at it and that's all she had to do we had the best food ever at that girls camp because her stewardship was just the food right and so i think that's a really great example i mean a little tongue-in-cheek that like i don't have to be everything for everyone yeah i mean i it's uh, stewarding is about god saying i gave you five talents and you won and in his economy he's working that out now i I will say there are times and seasons in my life where i'm like man (laughs) i don't have very good stewardships right now like 
my talent list is not that cool and exciting when I see so-and-so sister, so-and-so and brother, so-and-so in there. Right. And that's a signal. Usually I'm, I've slipped into the ownership mindset because I do think God is like brilliant about like, I'm going to have teachers. I'm going to have mechanics. I'm going to have cake decorators. I'm going to have, I jokingly say I have two kids with naturally super curly hair. My husband and I do not have curly hair. They have started bad rumors about why they both look the way they look. And they came six years apart in two different States. They look exactly alike. And I always say it's because God knew I was not great at doing hair. And so he was just like, how about you just are born with really great curly hair. And then your mom. Yeah. So they've watched yeah. every YouTube video about curly hair. They, they get mad at me when I try to give advice because they're like, you don't understand curly hair and the products that we need <laughs> and all the things that's going on. And so, I mean, I think in that sense of, you know, in our infertility journey, um, I, I had lupus. And so when we were told we would never have children to have two kids comparative, people have in all seriousness asked where our other children are in the church. And I always say, they let you become really sighty president with only two kids. They do. I'm, I'm evidence of that. Right. Um, because culturally speaking, large families were the norm. And so what's wrong with us? Why do we only have two kids? Well, my stewardship experience has been this. I also know the Lord has, has invited me to do things that if there had been more kids, it wouldn't have probably happened in the way that it did. Yeah. Now, do I think my husband could have been an amazing father of six? For sure. He's going to be a great grandpa because he's magic with babies. And But he always tells me I'm fine with our stewardship, our two kids. It, that's what we have, right? Yeah. So I think comparison is crucial, especially in the church. We so easily slip into what the norm is because there's a handbook, right? There's a handbook describing everything we do and there's record keeping. And we have mistakenly believed that it always looks a certain way. And I think especially if you move outside of Utah, if you move outside of the United States, um, there's different versions of bishops and Relief Society presidents and camp directors and girls camp in general, right? Um, all over the world. And, and that expansion, that diversity to me is divinity. And I, and I hope that we make more room for your gifts and talents include also your hard experiences. Like Zion's going to be built by my friends that have been single moms, right? They're, they're going to be built by my father-in-law that died with MS. Like, to watch him as a bishop with MS and hobbling up with two canes and then eventually in a wheelchair and then watching him as a grandfather and a father when he literally couldn't get out of bed for a year before he passed. In his mind, he wasn't effective at all. And I remember sitting with him and saying, dad, you have no idea your legacy. And he's thinking, you know, he couldn't, he had to retire early as a hospital administrator he constantly had black eyes as Bishop because he was falling all the time. Hmm. Right. But I remember saying to him, what you've taught your children about what faith looks like, what surrender looks like, what it looks like to trust in God when your body doesn't work. That was a stewardship. Nobody was high-fiving him like, yay, 15 years of MS. And then you die and your last year of life, you're in bed waiting for help. But I remember him tying a, laundry basket with a rope around his waist and crawling to try to just help with the laundry mm-hmm. as my mother-in-law went back to work to have health insurance. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think anyone would say that was a fun stewardship right? to watch that, right. but I watched them steward. And then years later, as we then were dealing with my health diagnosis 
and my husband as my spouse, I've watched him be sensitive, supportive, understanding. I can't, I can't separate that he watched his dad and his mom, right? So don't underestimate how your stewarding is influencing and inspiring others in their stewarding. That's different than comparisons. Yeah. When I look at others in their stewarding, and it's very different than mine because I'm not asked to experience what they're asked to do, I still can gather the lesson, you know? It's my neighbor whose wife had early Alzheimer's onset at 43 and then was called to be bishop. Hmm. And I watch him every every day taking her for walks. She's non-communicative. He brushes her hair. He takes care of her, right? In ways that I'm sure he would never say that his life is filled with a meaningful marriage that meets all of his needs. But he honors in that stewardship and he has inspired me because I think, what is marriage? Right? Is it that every single need is met for me all the time? No. In marriage, just like with my in-laws and this neighbor of mine, it's about that covenant-keeping commitment at times. That's not easy. That's an oversimplification of some stewardships that have inspired me in the last few years. But I would say that that's just as much a part of building the kingdom as the great youth conference that was planned on someone's ranch (laughs) where everyone had the ATVs for all, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Or the guy that had the private jet so he could fly the whole young men's group to whatever Mexico to do a service project. We hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what about the husband that's taking care of his wife who has early Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, there's uh, stewardship in every way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, and I don't know how God's going to work it out, but I know he's going to work it out. Yeah. And I guess the, what the, 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 the principle I appreciate most about this principle is that when you're, it gives you permission to say, I don't own it. Like, cause when we, sometimes we accidentally say that we do own it. And we're, in, in other words, we're saying we are the savior. Right. We, at the end of the day, you're not the bishop. At the end of the day, you're not the Relief Society president, the, the parent, the whatever. You just have a stewardship. He's given you this this part of his his uh, vineyard, and he's saying, would you be a steward over it? I've got it. I'll figure it out. But would you help me? And Because through that, you will become more like me. And, and, think, and it's beautiful. And think about how quickly we all get burned out when we're in ownership. Yeah. Because first of all, we don't have control of anyone's choices. When our kids are little, we think we do because mm-hmm. we magically can put them in the crib, right? <laughs> or we can have, we're having a problem with lying. Let's have a family home evening lesson about that. And then they're 16 and that doesn't solve the problem, uh-huh. right? So I would say exactly what you just reiterated is that the way God keeps me in the game is when I stay in stewardship. If I go into ownership, I want to bail. I'm burnout. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't still get those feelings in my stewarding, but I'm more likely to get up off of the mat, right? Go back to my knees in prayer, go back to the temple petition. Um, I, I, what's coming to me right now as we've been talking is the bishop or the parent or the spouse of someone going through a faith crisis, right? Um, how do you navigate that when I think most families, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here, are going through that at yeah. some level. Someone in the family is going sure. through it. If we approach it as a stewardship, it changes things. Because I hear from friends and family members that are the one going through the faith crisis, quote unquote. They don't always love that term, but 
faith journey. Right. And maybe even removing their names from the records, leaving the church, whatever that is. How do you preserve a relationship in that? Because ultimately stewarding to me is about love, right? And it's about loving things that are hard. It's about loving people that are hard. It's about loving myself, which is not always easy to do. And I would just say that stewardship is very common now. 10 years ago, even eight years ago, when my very first book came out, there's a chapter in I Can Do Hard Things With God. And it's all about this mother that I love her so much. She's a grandmother. And out of her nine kids, eight have left the church. And at Mm -hmm. the time she was working for a general authority, like as an assistant, right? Mm -hmm. And she'd been really study president. Her husband had been bishop, right? And I remember Alison, it's not a secret because you can buy the book and see it. And she pushed back a little like, why am I writing this? This is 10 years ago. She's like, why am I writing this? Like, nobody wants to hear this story. And and I said, Alison, everyone needs to hear the story. Within a few years, I, I didn't know a family that wasn't having that experience. And why I wanted her perspective is she, before I had the words for it, she was in stewardship. She was maintaining a relationship with a loved one, multiple kids, in a way that is so beautiful and it continues to impact me while her kids were choosing in a different way, in a way that was different than all the family home evening lessons, all the programs in the church had taught. And to this day, her relationships have stayed and flourished because I believe she stayed in stewardship. And so whether it's the person that is coming to you saying, I've read this about history, or I've been offended by this leader, or I'm not okay with this policy anymore. Can you approach what they're experiencing as their stewardship? Instead, well, what do we often do? No empty chairs. It's cross-stitched on the wall, (laughs) right? (laughs) And what's going to be eternity if my loved one who's a return missionary, who's been a bishop is now out of the church. What do I do with that? Stay in stewardship and then honor that they're in a stewardship. Yeah. Is it possible that their journey is exactly the stewardship experience that God has intended for them? And do you see, like, I can almost feel the collective, like, deep breath versus when we're in ownership. It's like, I got to save them and they're not, they're violating their covenants. And and what does that say about me as a mom, as a father, as a stake president, if I don't go in versus the bishops or stake presidents that show up and just sit Mm -hmm. in stewardship with an individual and say, I honor this where you're at. I love you and wherever you are at in your decision-making. I don't know. It's easy for me when it's everyone else's stewardship. So let me just be fully transparent. (laughs) When it's my stewardship, when it's my kid, when it's my health, when it's my career, when it's, it's obvious, you know, I have YSA everywhere that are like, they call me mama Condi, mama Condi, you're so accepting and you're willing to have the hard conversation. I'm like, yeah, cause you're not my 24 year old. The one I birthed, it's it's a lot it's harder. Yeah. yeah, it's an extension of me. It's much easier to go to ownership to the people you married or you birthed. Let's yeah. just be clear on that. It's when you can see it from a little bit of a perspective that you're like, oh, look, look at their journey. Yeah. Look at what they're wrestling with. And I would say the same to church leadership. Like, it's easy to say, oh, great job, bishop, until you're the bishop. Great job, really say president, until you're the, or the primary president, right? I've watched our primary president all through COVID. Oh, man, she deserves an award. I don't know if she's ever going to get an award, (laughs) but to navigate a very large primary with different families approaching the pandemic in very different ways and keeping leaders that had different approaches when we kind of were coming back to normal. I mean, what a unique stewardship that we all lived through and we all approached it quite differently, you know, and was there a right or a wrong? So before we go into, into too much prescription on this, like what's the prescriptive way to be a good steward? There is no way. 
And you may be stewarding the exact scenario I'm stewarding and do it very differently. And that's okay. Yep. All right, Galen, I'm going to slip in here right before our uh, my last question and uh, see if anybody notices that we actually recorded this uh, in the future <laughs> of our of our interview. Uh, I, after I left your your house, we recorded that. Man, like Galen is about to do this remarkable event for North Star. You're the MC for a night of uh, a night for hope, a benefit concert under the stars, it says, and we didn't even plug it. So we're going to quickly record this and, uh, and plug it. So th- this audience knows that they should be there. I've got my tickets and obviously okay. you have your tickets cause you're well, going to be on I stage. Hope, but. <laughs> I hope they let me in. <laughs> That's right. So tell <laughs> us about it. You're the MC. What are we going to see that night? So I just feel like, um, there's so many things that you can do with a summer night. What a better, like, I think bang for your buck. I don't know. I mean, I I believe we're in an economy where we need value in like our purchases. That's right. I don't think there's a better lineup. So Nathan Pachenko and Casey Elliott from Gentry and Madeline Page are going to perform. It is in this beautiful location up at River Bottoms Ranch, which if you know, is like up Midway Heber area, if you're familiar with Utah. Mm-hmm. There are still tickets available. The price point is so amazing. Like it's worth it. There's going to be a silent auction. It's on August 5th. I'm really honored to MC this event. There are some surprises that I do not have permission to share, oh boy. but I'm going to say you're going to get more than you expect. And I Ooh. think anytime you go to a concert or an event and you walk away thinking like, okay, I got what I paid for, but I think I even got more than that. It, it's time well spent. And for me, in the work I do in faith communities, in mental health, in the schools and businesses, hope is kind of a theme of what I try to share. And the goal of this night is just in the gathering with beautiful music and a beautiful surrounding. Um, It's not going to break the bank, but you're going to have these like world-class performances and also some messages of hope. North Star is an organization that's dear to both you and I. Yep. Did we meet at North Star? Is that how we first met? I don't know. Maybe we, not. We met before this life, Gainalyn. I don't know what. <laughs> Did we have a reunion at a North Star event? That's, That's right. what I yeah. mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love North Star. I love doing any work within the LGBTQ plus communities, but I also really value what North Star's goal is to minister to those that are trying to wrestle in the paradoxes of faith and gender sexual identity and support church leadership and family members of those that are dealing with those stewardships. And so we've talked a lot today about stewardships and I just think we would love to have anyone that feels like they need more hope that they want to gather in a positive um, space with people that are, um, wanting to share hope as well. And then listen to really good music and a beautiful surroundings and setting. I, I, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to add to the event because I'm just the MC, but I kind of feel like with this lineup, I probably can't ruin it. I don't know. Maybe I could, <laughs> maybe I'll say the wrong thing and fall down on the stage and then I'll go viral for things I don't want to go viral yeah, for. At least come for that and see if, if Gainalyn completely screws this up. <laughs> yeah, the hope is to not do that. The hope right. is to add hope to a night of hope. So Yes, I think you'll do great. And I will be there. And so if uh, those in the audience that uh, 
that come. We're putting the link in the show notes so yeah. you can buy tickets and look at Yeah, the, the concert starts at so. seven, but the doors open at six. And so I would love, you know, Kurt knows this about me. I give free hugs. So if I'm at That's a book right. signing, you you don't even need to buy one of my books. You'll get a hug. Come <laughs> to the event. Please introduce yourself. Um, I'm excited to be with people I love in this community. North Star always puts on great events that leave me better. Um, and it, and it always helps me stop and look at my own stewardships in my life and, and see them with a different lens when I'm with a community of, of those that, that are a part of the LGBTQ plus communities. And, um, so this is a night for everyone. It's for everyone that needs some hope. And I think that covers everyone on the planet. So if you're happening to be in Utah on August 5th, Maybe people are listening to this podcast like in 2027. Um, this is 2022. Do not come to, yeah. <laughs> don't go to River Bottoms Ranch in August 5th of 2027. I don't know if we're going to be there. So, <laughs> right? That's right. So where would you send people that want to check out the book or learn more about all the many projects you're working on. So my name, Gina Lynn, that's my website. So it's Just easy Google to, it, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, Google is always like, oh, her, that weird <laughs> Um, I'm on all the social platforms, so you can find me there. The book is um, Amazon Seagull and Desert Book. Sometimes it's in Costco, but I never get a text beforehand. And so if they're gone. Um, I need you by the sample lady signing copies. I know, right? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm ready to do that, stewardship. That's good. Um, Anyone that's going to be in Utah this summer, at the time of this taping... You know, I'm going to do some book signings, which for a few years we weren't able to do that. Yeah. So I'm excited to Good. do that. So my calendar's on my website and, and I love hearing from readers. I just saw on a real talk episode on YouTube, um, a viewer is buying com copies of the stewardship, giving it to anyone that asks her about it. Oh, nice. I was like, I don't know who this person is. I've Bless never met heart. this viewer, but she's like, this book has completely changed my life. And so the minute I start to talk to anyone and they want to know what is stewardship and they take a copy, it changes how they feel and see things. And that's the greatest thing to hear as an author that, yeah. that it's a jumping off point, but that it's filled some gaps for some people. I just heard from a mom of a gay boy and her son came to her a few years ago and she just said, he, my son is gay and he came to me two years ago. Why didn't I know about stewardship? And I have a sense it was, it was not navigated perfectly, right? Like sometimes our stewardships catch us completely off guard and we mess it up for a while. I hope this book brings some healing too, because if you're in a situation where maybe a relationship has been strained because you didn't steward correctly, or you didn't say the quote unquote, whatever we think is the right thing because we're caught off guard or we're heartbroken because stewardships feel different. They look different than we thought the dream for our kids, the dream for our callings, the dream for our careers. Um, we can always circle back. That's the good news of the gospel, right? So I hope it brings hope. That's what people ask what is your, what's your thing? What do you want to be known for? What's your brand? And it's, I'm a Jesus, Jesus biased hope motivator. And <laughs> you know, it. that's it. Yes. I mean, I'm, we, we need hope. And for me, hope is, is not stagnant. It's choosing it again and again when it looks like things aren't working out. And for those that are dealing with some hard stewardships right now, I, I see you, God sees you. And He's working things out for your good. And for those in leadership, it's not easy. It's a stewardship. Like 
be careful when you start correcting your church leadership because they didn't they volunteered for this right no one as as of today is being paid to be the nursery leader so <laughs> if if you are if you're feeling like you could do a better job in that stewardship role right sometimes i think just say thank you to the people that have said yes to doing the stewarding in our wards and in our stakes because it's it's often a, a challenge to figure out how to do it and balance all the other stewardships of our lives at the same time. Like we don't put all the other things on hold just to be the bishop or the release lady president. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. We'd love to hear from you about your questions or thoughts or comments. You can either leave a comment on the uh, post related to this episode at leadingsaints.org or go to leadingsaints.org contact and send us your perspective or questions. If there's other episodes or topics you'd like to hear on the Leading Saints podcast, go to leadingsaints.org contact and share with us the information there. And we would love for you to share this with any individual you think this would apply to, especially maybe individuals in your ward council or other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. Remember to learn more about our Gathering Saints retreat experiences, visit leadingsaints.org gathering or click the link in the show notes. As a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the own and only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.